Would you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1? It is a good day. God loves us and he's for us in Christ and we're grateful for that. It's so good to see so many of the faces of folks who've been attending at Fullerton and uh, just it brings joy to my heart to see folks here that I just haven't gotten to see as much and very grateful for it. But we thought as we thought about this Sunday as our congregations reunite, it would be good to back up and say, why would we make decisions like this? What, really, what are we all about? And keeping what we're all about, the main things of what we're all about, is so important because it just orients us properly, gets us aligned and unified and motivated. And so we thought it'd be good to, to do that. If you go on our website, you will see that our, our vision for our church is Grace Evangelical Free Church is, is a community that exists to glorify God as we follow Jesus Christ. There's a simplicity to that, but there's an individual and communal element to that. And it, there's a God-glorifying goal, and that is worked out in following Jesus. We've recently put together a, a strategic plan that puts our mission this way, to be a gospel-proclaiming, equipping, nurturing, and sending church, transformed by the redeeming work of Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you see this mission statement, it gives more specificity to how we live out that initial vision. And the goal of all of this within this strategic plan is to present everyone mature in Christ, which comes right out of the passage we'll be looking at this morning, to present everyone mature in Christ. The goal of our ministry as a church body, of our lives as individuals, is to present everyone mature in Christ. We thought it'd be good, at least initially, to highlight three things we will be bearing down on and seeking to do with increasing sufficiency and, and uh, intentionality. The first is teaching. We want to truly be equipping our, especially leaders, better because we emphasize the priesthood of all believers here. We do not see ministry as primarily something you get paid for uh, or as a, as a vocation or something you do once you have a degree of some kind. We see ministry as something every believer is called to, and this clergy-laity distinction is not one we find in the Bible. And so we want to blast away with that, at that and, and truly raise up an army of ministers here who are seeking to be disciples and make disciples in all the vocations and, and neighborhoods and relationships that God has us in. And so that means we need to do a good job, a better job, equipping, caring for, motivating, uh, coming alongside the leaders and equipping and teaching them to then in turn equip and teach others. And all of this is useless if we're not aware of our dependence on God and therefore prayerful. And so we, we want to earnestly seek to be a more prayerful church, a church where each member, starting in, in your time with the Lord daily and extending out in your ministry and in our corporate worship, we want to be a church where each member is individually and corporately devoted to consistent, earnest, and expectant prayer. We can pray for that child who's having some sort of issue right now. Uh, as, as, child 3515. Um, we should wear that like prisoners. Uh, uh, so we, we want <laughs> Who is child 3515? Um, <laughs> sounded like Les Mis there for a, a moment. Um, 
Uh, so we want to teach, we want to pray, and we want to proclaim Christ. That's, our adoration for Christ needs to bear out in proclamation of Christ. And so we want to be a Christ-proclaiming church where each member is urgently, eagerly, and bountifully proclaiming Christ at home and who supports the gospel advancement throughout the world. Those are the, the, the big goals we're especially focusing on these days. This isn't anything new. It's not like we haven't been doing that. Oh, yeah, we should pray. But the, we are, are wanting to, to bear down even more and, and get more detailed. We have specific practical ways we want to work on this. But just so you're all up to speed on our, our mission, our vision, and the things we're particularly looking at. We thought the best way to bring these home is to go right to that, that idea, that goal of our strategic plan, which is to present everyone mature in Christ. That is a quote right from Colossians chapter 1. And if, if you have your Bible, Colossians chapter 1, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Our ushers will happily bring you one that you can keep if, if that would be helpful to you. Uh, but we'll be in just two verses of, of Colossians 1, we'll, but, but we'll be staying in it the whole time. So let's read Colossians 1 verses 28 and 29 as this anchor passage for who we are as a church in our ministry together. Let's pray as we go to the word. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful we don't have to make up what it's all about. You've told us what it's all about. So help us, Lord, hear from you this morning and not just be informed but great, more greatly transformed by your word as the spirit works, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Well, there it is. You have so much packed into just these two verses that give us such a clear orientation for what it means to be Christians who are disciples and disciple makers and are earnestly pursuing to a ministry that fulfills God's expectations for our lives. Well, there it is. And sometimes... I find it helpful as a, a spiritual exercise to rewrite passages of Scripture uh, as if Satan wrote them instead of God. Actually, C.S. Lewis did that in a book called The Screwtape Letters, a whole book uh, written uh, from a senior demon to a junior demon on how to keep a young man from God. And Screwtape writes these letters to Wormwood. Well, sometimes I write my own Screwtape Bible as a spiritual exercise. And so I did that with these two verses. I rewrote them uh, as if Satan had written them to me rather than God. And here's what I came up with. Myself I proclaim, telling ones I'm most comfortable with to live for today and confusing them and leaving them in their ignorance according to my own agenda and strategies so that they never have to endure the difficult process of becoming what God knows is best. For this, I only do what's convenient and what is in my self-centered job description depending entirely on my own wits 
strength and in the flesh so that I will be glorified. Ugh. It's hard to read that because um, some of it's too often true. Um, I wrote a version for us as a congregation as well. Him, and I'm not saying this describes us, right? I'm, I'm saying that this, this is uh, how Satan would like us to go. Him, Jesus, we occasionally mention in passing so as to not be boring to people or offensive or sound too religious or lack enough focus on ourselves or the latest trends. For this we work to be popular, cutting edge and relevant so that people will feel good about themselves and content with their self-absorbed lives and maximize their unlimited human potential. We will do this in the power of the flesh and on our own strength, which will be seen by our lives that are marked by prayerlessness and chasing after more and more treasures of earth while we neglect the attainment of riches that truly matter and last forever. I think those are the opposite of what God is wanting us to have our lives look like. So the way I want to walk through this passage is by just looking at ten words we find in the passage. Ten words. Uh, The first word is him. Him we proclaim. Not ourselves, not our ministry, not our church, uh, not our accomplishments, but Jesus and all he is and all he has done for us. Him we proclaim. Him we live for. We have, if you get nothing else out of this morning, please get that we are about Jesus. We are for Christ. We are depending on Christ to glorify him, to point people to Jesus as the only Savior, to come alongside others and marvel at the beauty of Christ and the goodness of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ to meet us in all our deepest needs. And so we proclaim Christ. Our message is Jesus. And yes, there comes with the person of Christ a body of content, a good deposit of truth entrusted to us, but let's never leave any doubt that all of the truth we proclaim is a truth about a person whose creator God, who became one of us, to live a righteous life in place of our disobedience and die a perfect sacrificial death that we owed but could never pay, and Jesus paid it for us. That's, our, that's the Savior. And our lives need to increasingly look not like some triumphant ministry leader, but more and more like the woman at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet with her tears. Those are the models, the heroes we are to look to. Not those who gain all the prominence and popularity and prestige and money some of the time, but those who know they've been forgiven much and desperately want other people to know the Jesus who has forgiven them much. And so him we proclaim. We proclaim Christ. Our message, our passion is for a person. It's Jesus. And don't leave any doubt when we live our lives and talk to people about what our lives are about, that our lives are about a person who loved us to death. We need to talk about Jesus as if he's really real because he is. We need to talk about Jesus as if he really is alive because he really is. Unlike every other great religious leader who's ever lived, Jesus alone is alive. He's the one 
who gave his life for us. And he's the one who rose from the dead to give us abundant life now and eternal life forever. And so it's got to be about Jesus. We need to talk about Jesus. We need to have a relationship with Christ as individuals and then collectively that makes it undeniable that at least we are very much convinced that Jesus is alive and well and active in our lives and he's everything to us. The glory of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, he is the reason for our being. Now, that won't be true if you think your greatest need is more money. If you think your greatest need is to be appreciated more by other people, if you think your greatest need is a little more security in life, if you think your greatest need are to collect more things of this world, Jesus won't be everything to you. Or at least he'll be reduced to something far less than he really is. Like somebody who gives you really good advice or principles for living or practicalities to live a wise and prudent life. But if you realize that God is holy and before him you are a sinner, you will realize that you need way more than a self-help coach. You need a savior that only God can provide. And that's what he's provided in Jesus. And if you realize God's holiness in your sinful condition, you will realize that you need a redeemer and Jesus is that only redeemer. Christianity is all about Christ. And Jesus' question to his disciples, who do you say that I am, is the greatest question you'll ever be asked. And getting the answer to that question is the most important thing you will ever do in your life. Who is Jesus? Is he just a great moral teacher to you? Is he just a figment of someone's imagination? Or is he the savior of the world and your savior that you desperately need him to be? Until you get to that point, Jesus won't be your life. And that's exactly what Colossians 3, 4 says. Just look one page over on Colossians, at Colossians 3, 4. I think of this description of Jesus often. It, it, boy, it gets everything right where it needs to be. Look at 3, 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory until Jesus is your life. Jesus isn't who he needs to be for you. If Jesus is someone or something or a collection of ideas that you've added to your life instead of your life itself, you don't understand who Jesus is. And so our faith is not ultimately in in rules or regulations or religious observance. Our life is not grounded even in a collection of ideas, although you can't know Jesus apart from that. Our life is Christ. It's found in him. He's everything to us. Jesus is our life. He's the one in whom we behold the glory of God. It's in his face we see God for who he really is. And until you see the glory of God in the face of Christ, you do not know God. And so if you are here this morning and you've never seen Jesus this way, you've liked him, you've admired him maybe, but you've never seen him as the one who is your life because he's God in flesh for you. Oh, I pray that this would be the morning that you would trust Jesus. You'd turn from your sin and trust him. That's what we're about here at Grace, Jesus. He's the one we live for. 
You know, this Colossian church had these practices of, of simplicity and asceticism and, and all sorts of teaching that, that was going on that Paul was combating when he wrote this letter to them. And they were finding their life in knowing these special things and in living these special ways. And that, that is not where we find life. We find life in Christ. And so the first word is him, only nine to go. They won't all be that long, I promise you. The second word is proclaim. Him we proclaim. Notice it does not say him we mention in passing. Him we share as part of our testimony merely, although that can be wonderful. It does not say him we give an opinion about. It says, him we proclaim, and like the related word also used often to describe what this means, preach, we proclaim and preach, which means we do this with confidence and boldness and clarity and conviction and urgency. We proclaim with confidence, serious intention to see minds and wills and hearts bow before Jesus as the one who is our lives. We're not just exchanging ideas or merely giving our perspective. We believe we have the words of eternal life that Jesus has given us. We have the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of great joy for all people. That's what it's called. And we can talk about the gospel if we do talk about Jesus as if it's something people really aren't interested in, which I don't believe is true. We're not just sharing You know, apathy is actually cool in our society. Have you noticed that? Just look at um, musicians on their CD covers, how unsettled they look. (laughs) They never smile. They're looking away in the distance, right? Unresolved, unsettled. Um, because that's cool. It's cool to be apathetic today. God does not think apathy is cool at all. He, he thinks earnest, passionate proclamation is cool. When Jesus is your life, he takes over and he's everything to you and you want nothing more than for people to know the Savior you've come to know. Jesus, who is our life, will appear and we want people to know that. James Denny said, I don't care anything for a theology that does not help a man to preach. If your adoration of Christ never manifests itself in proclamation of Christ, there's a severe deficiency in your adoration. We need to preach Christ and proclaiming the gospel, which, is the goal, which has the goal of persuasion and saving faith in Jesus, that's got to typify who we are. And, and again, I mentioned giving your testimony. <clears throat> you know, we tend, the main word I think we use to describe proclaiming Christ is share my faith. Which, which is fine, that's certainly part of what we're doing, but if that's all it is, sharing my faith, there seems to be a focus on me. And sharing is a fine word, but it lacks the kind of powerful proclaiming confidence of proclaim or preach. 
And it doesn't mean we have pulpits when we do this the vast majority of the time or stand in front of groups of people like I am now, but it does mean we talk to our neighbor over coffee with a confidence and a boldness that is obviously convinced of the things we're saying and deeply, desperately, urgently wants that person to know Jesus. Listen to G.K. Chesterton. What we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition and has settled upon the organ of conviction where it was never meant to be. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself but undoubting about the truth. And this has been exactly reversed. We are on the road to producing a race too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication table. And imagine what he would think today. He wrote that generations ago. Imagine what he would think today. Our bold proclamation of our passion is ultimately based on seeing Jesus and his overwhelming glory and having that take root in our lives. And so we want desperately not to point people to ourselves or even our stories ultimately, but our stories are only a means of getting people to see Jesus for who he is, which is the gospel. The go- My story is not the good news. It's good news for me, but the good news is Jesus who came for us in real time and space in human history and lived and died and offered an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation, a sacrifice that satisfied God's justice for us. We point people to Jesus. That's our goal. Him we proclaim with confidence and boldness. Let's proclaim with confidence the boldness of, with boldness, the Savior who is Jesus around the world, starting in La Mirada. Starting right where God has you, in your neighborhood, wherever you live, whether it's Whittier, Santa Fe Springs, or Fullerton, or here in La Mirada, wherever he has you, start proclaiming there. Start proclaiming in your own home with consistency and boldness. And then let it spread from there. Word three, warning. Another serious word. Another word of urgency and earnestness, warning, reprimand, rebuke, urgently urge, calling will and emotions to respond to the good news of Christ. And what does the warning consist of? The wrath to come, judgment day, that there will be an accounting one day for how we lived our lives and what we did with God's offer of salvation through his son. When we warn people, we say to them, you will have to answer for how you lived your life before your creator. I just saw a video yesterday. You know how they, they um, will have hidden cameras and they'll see people in public doing things and then it, they actually agree to have it put on, on television. Well, there's a show where they get people doing things. Well, uh, the thing they set up was this, this, uh, this young man with Down syndrome who's an actor and and they got actors to make fun of him as he was bagging people's groceries to see how the other customers would respond. And the vast majority of them just looked down and ignored it. And it was mostly actually women who said something, which should tell you something about the state of manhood in our culture. Um, But there was one woman, she looked at this man who was making fun of this young man in line, and she said, I hope when you meet your maker, he remembers what you did today. <laughs> wow! Yeah, lady! Now, now if, if that's, that's legit, but I hope you follow that up with the gospel of grace, maybe. But 
But you got to appreciate where she's coming from, right? You need to appreciate where she's coming from. And, and we need to realize that there is a judgment day. There is a day coming where our, our myth of autonomy that I only answer to myself will be just exploded. We answer to God. We answer to our creator for how we lived our lives. And we live our lives in Christ. But we have a warning. And this demands preaching. Word four, teaching. This warning, this proclamation has content. It's about a person, remember, but it does have content. You don't know persons apart from information about the person and about the ways the person tells us to live. Don't forget the Great Commission has make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then what? And teaching them. Thank you, Mo. Yes, there's a woman who loves to learn the word of God. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Right? There's a teaching component to discipleship where when you become a Christian, you need to be hungry to learn. Hungry to know. Starting with the word of God and then everything. Christians should be learners. Christians should be students of truth and reality, grounded in the word of God. We, we have a content to our faith that we want people to understand. Teaching that does inform and instruct with a content base that leads to a renewing of our minds because it really matters what we believe. What you believe has life or death, heaven or hell consequences and implications. So there's got to be a teaching component to our ministry. Word five, wisdom. With wisdom. We we don't do this however. We happen to feel like doing it today. Wisdom means having the, the right goals and the means to get to those goals. And there's great comfort in knowing that wisdom does not mean keeping up with all the latest trends. I would have just just quit ministry a long time ago uh, if, if that's what it was about. Which is why our first ministry value at Grace is God's glory. And it says this, our ultimate goal is to glorify God and be led by the Spirit in all we do, wherever he leads. We do not want to be driven by cultural values or programs, but by the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is most glorified when we focus all we do on the living Christ and the gospel of Christ found in the scriptures. And we believe God is glorified and desires to work through the prayers of his people. And so that is there to remind us that ministry is not complicated. It's not a mystery what it means to individually and collectively minister. It means seeking in all we do to glorify God. So our driving question is always, will God be honored by this? Will God be glorified by this? Not not what the latest opinion polls say or what popularity will determine, but what God finds delightful starting with transformed lives that look like Jesus. And so our goal is to glorify God in all we do with our art, not just in church, but wherever, with our relationships, with our senses of humor, with our, our job that we have, with the business we own, with the house we have, with the money we have, that we want God to be honored with all of, with all of this. That's what we live for is his honor, his glory. And we know that's not complicated. It means being people of the word and people of prayer and of worship and people who give and people who serve and people who care about the great commission and people who suffer with hope. That's what it means to be ministers. That's what it means to be faithful. It's not complicated, but there are lots of judgment calls to be made along the way. 
We made a judgment call to meet here on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.15. We make judgment calls to have a Lord's Supper tonight once a month. We make all sorts of judgment calls to start a, a congregation in Fullerton to bring them back. We, we make judgment calls. And a lot of times those aren't clear, but the bottom line stuff is. And then together with prayer, collectively, we make decisions led by the Holy Spirit, realizing we'll make mistakes along the way, but there's grace for that from God and from one another. And we move together for the, the great calling we have to see everyone mature in Christ. So we do this with wisdom, and we seek wisdom. Word number six, present. Present. There's this presentation language. We want to present everyone mature in Christ. What is is that presentation language? Again, it points us to the day of judgment. Presentation language is the final day language. It's when everything's being assessed, everything is being evaluated for its lasting eternal value, whether it's done in the spirit to the glory of God or whether it's done in the flesh for our own comfort or contentment or ease or self-exaltation. We we present to God things that last only when we present to him things done in the spirit for his glory. And fundamentally what that means is We have an influence on people for his glory by pointing them to Jesus and having them know Christ because of our lives and having them grow in Christ because of our lives. We want to present people to God at the end of it all as the fruit of our lives. And on that day, it will not matter if your car was cool. It will not matter if your hair was cool. Or what kind of jeans you wore. Or how fat your 401k was when you finally kicked the bucket. None of that will matter. What really will matter is whether or not you used what you had that God blessed you with to point people to the Savior with your life and your words. On that day, there will be so many things we invest so much time and energy into that won't amount to anything of lasting value. Which means we need to be most enthused, most engaged, most energized by using all the resources God gives us at work, in our neighborhoods, in our home, here at church, wherever God has us, using all our resources for that. And our enthusiasm, our passion, our engagement needs to so far exceed, our engagement for Christ needs to so far exceed all the other things we're passionate about that there's no comparison. But oh, I wonder for how many of us that's not true. That if you ask people what we're most passionate about, it will be the football team we like or the band we like or the hobby we have. What really captures our hearts? Because on Judgment Day, only what's done for Christ will last. We want to present others mature in Christ which is leading us to word number, se- uh, word number seven. Word seven, <clears throat> everyone. Three times in Greek and here, thankfully in English as well, you have everyone. We, we want to, we want to um, proclaim Christ and 
warn everyone, teach everyone, present everyone, which means two things. It means there is a comprehensiveness to the way we seek to minister, which means in the way we live our lives on a daily basis, we're having an influence on people. People are watching our marriages, watching the way we invest our resources, whatever they are, money, energy, uh, time, the, the way we express hospitality, the way we, we make beautiful things so people can enjoy them, the way we uh, use our words to edify and build people up. People are watching our lives and hearing our primary message, and because of it, they're influenced. And for some, it may be subtle. It may be a countenance of joy that Jesus has given you as you pass by them that will give them a glimmer of hope. Hopefully as well, it will be people uh, that you are able to talk to to tell exactly why you have a countenance of joy. And you may be saying, well, this isn't for me. This sort of comprehensive ministry, that's for apostles like Paul. No. No, it's for all of us. The apostolic ministry sets an example for all believers. Not in writing authoritative scripture like they did, but, or starting the whole apostolic ministry like they did, but then they hand off that authority to us that was given to them by Jesus and the message that Jesus gave them, and we now follow in their way. You know, he uses the very same words for all of us in chapter 3. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. This is not just an apostolic calling. This is not just a ministry for paid clergy or some elite class. There's no such thing among the people of God. Look at Colossians 3.16. This is to the whole congregation. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. Do you see? That is the calling of the believer. The example of the apostles becomes the command of the Christian. That's who we are now. We are to, in our lives, with our psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, when you come here to sing with the people of God, would you take that seriously, please? I desperately need for you to. Other people do as well. When you come here, please don't ever come as a consumer, giving in to your lowest level of earnestness, right? I've come here so many mornings with, with a distant heart or a cold heart or a hard heart only to just catch a glimpse of someone like Cynthia worshiping God and she's saying to me without even knowing it, come on, Eric, let's go. Let's go. Let's worship God. He deserves it no matter how you're feeling this morning. People, people preach sermons to me, right? Do you come here with a level of consumeristic um, uh, unwillingness to engage in a way where your psalm singing, your hymn singing, your spiritual song singing is a fuel for others to be admonished and encouraged and exhorted. That's what we're being told here. And it's not just in our corporate worship, although it's certainly that. It's in the way we suffer. I'm looking at some of you right now who, who have suffered greatly with such beautiful hope and joy. I see Steve and Jenny over here. They've encountered trials, and so many of you. 
you've encountered trials with such faith and hope because Jesus is your life. See, what a, what a proclamation of his worth that is. What a way to live. I know some of you spend your time thinking more and more strategically about how to love people well and support people and encourage them. There's so much beautiful ministry that goes on in this church and there's an effort to present everyone mature in Christ and there is a a comprehensiveness to the everyone that's mentioned three times, but there's also particularity to, to it. It means every single person you meet, every person you walk by here and in Stater Brothers or Starbucks or wherever you are, every single person is made by God, known by God, and loved by God. And he wants you in some way, increasingly and consistently in your life, to help people believe that by the way you love them. Not just getting sucked into the meanness and cynicism that is so often just the way in our culture. But loving people with a radically different manner. Because Jesus is our life. And we're not living for a really fast checkout at Stater Brothers. We're living for Jesus. He's all that really matters ultimately. And so there's an everyone here that is the particularity of it. Watch Jesus' ministry. He knows the details of the woman who's been hemorrhaging for years. He knows the details of the woman who doesn't have a husband and now has lost her only son. He knows the details of how long that man has been able to, unable to walk. When he heals people, when he loves people, he cares about people in particular, not just generally, but in detail. And we need to love that way too. Word number eight, mature. The goal of all of this, the the point of all of this is maturation in Christ, which means becoming more and more like Jesus, which, which starts with the chronological priority of evangelism. You can't become like Jesus if you don't rest in Jesus and depend and abide in Jesus. And so that starts the process of then maturing in him, which means glorifying him by depending on him and becoming more and more like him in our lives. That's the point of discipleship, to look more and more like Jesus so people are drawn to the Savior through our lives and our message there's a maturity that we long for that we seek every day of our lives word number nine toil and this word also struggling for this I toil struggling here this blue collar worker uh, the apostle Paul a leather worker a tent maker we tend to think of tent makers as guys who work at REI you know no 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 these, these are hard-working uh, leather workers with, with beat-up hands. He knew hard work. He knew grime and sweat on your brow. So he had to tie something so it doesn't drip in your eyes kind of work. That's what he's talking about. Work like a rancher, like Gerald Haugen, I'm pointing over there. Yeah, um, hard work. That's what he's talking about. The work of a hard worker or an athlete is what he's pointing us to. But there's a goal in this. I'm toiling for this. I'm struggling with this. It's hard work. And please know that when you decide to get after being a minister, it will be hard. Just know that going in. Don't expect it to be easy because we've got battles, don't we? First of all, within ourselves. My pettiness and my shallowness and my, my desire to just not, not have any more needs come my way. And I, I, can, I can just not want, and suddenly I've, I've become an introvert. Leave me alone. We can so easily 
be dissuaded from engaging with people because we come with expectations of ease, of convenient ministry, which there's no such thing. Real ministry is not convenient ministry. That's not how Jesus loved us when it was convenient. He loved us to death. We've got enemies within. We've got enemies within the people of God, right? Not intentionally a lot of the time, but I have found the greatest heartache comes when the people of God are at odds. And our consumerism and our shallowness can erode a big kingdom of God perspective. And before you know it, we're arguing about styles of music and colors of carpets and things that make no ultimate difference. And and please know, we're going to hurt you. We're going to disappoint you. We're going to offend you. And so what? We need to know that. We can't be thin-skinned and easily offended, but rather easily edified and easily offer forgiveness. It's hard to be in relationships, starting with marriage, right? Isn't marriage about knowing there's going to be a lot of disappointment? A lot of, I stand right here. I've stood here many times and, and done wedding vows. And when they say, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, I always have in the back of my mind, you have no idea what you just signed up for. (laughs) And it's good, because you wouldn't do it if God let you know what it was going to include. But he'll give you the grace. He'll give you the faith. He'll enable you to do it. We're going to disappoint each other. If you're committed to relationships, you'll be disappointed. You'll suffer. You'll be offended. Let's be so different in our our culture who offers forgiveness and has grace and finds who we are in Christ so much that whether or not someone said something to us in just the right way doesn't make us go somewhere else. So we need to know it's toil and struggle. Hard work is just part of the deal because we have enemies within ourselves, enemies within the people of God, struggles as well, not just enemies, but struggles within the people of God. And we have enemies in the culture who increasingly will, will persecute if that day is coming, I think it is in my lifetime. True persecution. We have enemies. We have those who oppose what we do. And ultimately, we need to realize that we have enemies in the powers of darkness. Our ultimate war is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places, powers of darkness that will undo us. And so it's war. It's hard. It's part of the deal. Just know it. But get to word 10, please. Energy. How do we do this with all his energy that powerfully works within us by his energy, by means of, in the reliance on the work of the Spirit? It's with his energy and his strength that he works within us. And so through, through faith, we link our lives with Jesus, and the Spirit then brings the power we need, the energy we need to do this. And do you know that the energy the Spirit brings to live the Christian life is the very same power that he raised Jesus from the dead with, Ephesians 1. He wants us to know what? The immeasurable riches of the greatness of God's power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the power that rose you to new life when he made you a new creature in Christ. That's the power that courses through you and that's plenty of power. 
to live the Christian life. That's all you need. And so we depend on him. And that's why we're prayerful. That's why we go to the word. That's how he feeds us. That's how the, the power of God, the energy of God through the spirit of God gets energized in our lives. And when he's at work, we are able to live in ways, do things that we never thought possible, like overcome sin we thought had us. Like live lives of generosity when we want to cling to everything. Like endure suffering with hope. Like have boldness in the face of mockery and even persecution where we're able to love God more than anything else. You know, we were able to have Doris and Wally Robbins over for dinner last week with Melissa, their, their granddaughter. And when they left, I, I was just so impressed and overwhelmed that in their 90s, about to celebrate their 70th anniversary, there's more life in them, more passion in them, more engagement and ambition for the sake of the gospel than most 18-year-olds I meet. And we've gotten to spend a lot of time with the Dixes who are in their, their mid to eight lady, late 80s too, and, and they're the same way passion and engagement at points in their lives when, when there are lots of challenges and they have every right on an earthly level to say, I'm tapping out. I've been at this long enough. I'm tired. You guys take it from here. No, they're leading the way. And their passion and engagement, we need to follow in their steps and we need to follow in steps of people like Kim Lee, who we heard about during the announcements, who was at Grace for 10 years, a missionary to Siberia who came back to do her grad work and then just went back and found out She's got terminal cancer. Listen to what we heard from someone from her mission. It is with sadness and hope that I'm informing you of Kim Lee's terminal cancer. The cancer has consumed her liver and pancreas. Kim's life expectancy is three weeks to two months. Treatment is not an option. Of course, I'm asking to pray for miraculous healing. At the same time, Kim is content with the remainder of her earthly life being shortened to a few weeks. After nearly four decades of missionary service, mostly in Russia, Kim speaks with confidence that Christ has been exalted in her body and that whether she lives or dies, she lives to the glory of God and she is the Lord's. I've said plenty of times, we come here to learn to live well, but we also come here to learn to die well. That is a proclamation of the greatness of Christ that is as good as it gets. Let's pray. Lord, help us to live proclaiming Christ with our deeds and words. Lord, help us to not grow weary in doing good because you've told us in due time we will reap a harvest and we will hear well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I thank you for so many good and faithful servants that you've blessed this church family with. It's been a blessing to me and my family for these many years. Lord, we're grateful for the power of the Spirit who enables us to toil and struggle with joy and energy and hope for the glory of Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.